Welcome to the table where everyone gets to take a seat. My name is Isaac, and I am your host, and that was really weird, but I'm here with... Rachel Atokpa. Hi, Rachel. How are you? I'm doing all right. How are you? You know, I'm alive. You're here. Yeah. That's all right. all that we have most of the time. Mm, more than most of the time, it seems like. All the time? Yeah. It's Dare I say. to say all the time. Dare I say. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Oh my gosh, I'm so happy to have you here. I'm happy to be here. It's March now. It's Finally. March 2nd when this recording comes out, I it's think. It's been like two years of 2018, and now we're finally at March. And yes. so I'm ready for spring. This was the longest Black History Month that I have ever experienced in all of my years on this planet, mm-hmm. and it was lit. A lot of stuff happened. I, I don't know how I watched Black Panther that many times. I've still only seen it once, and I'm really sad about it. I, uh, I saw it in 3D. <laughs> that, I've only seen it in 3D. So oh my I gosh, have, you were there. I only have that standard. We went to that 3D. one together. Yeah, the whole community Black Panther viewing. Yes, I was there. <sighs> yeah. Beautiful night. Beautiful night. It was literally the best night of my life. And it was I wasn't nice to be able it. to be around Black folks with my popcorn, <laughs> watching a black movie about a black panther, superheroes, yeah. Yo, I was like dying because the people we were sitting next to, one, the dude who was sitting to my right was asleep. Like, gone. How? You know? How? There were some people who walked in there and were like, I thought this movie was about the Black Panther Party. And I was like, y'all. <laughs> How? <laughs> Have you not seen any of the media coverage for the past, like, two years? That was the people who were at the showing that we went to. And I was living for it. It was literally beautiful. Thanks again to Caleb Stevens for, like, getting that together. That was beautiful. Um, Why are we here? Oh, yeah. So, (laughs) like, so I'm going to talk about the eating schedule. And um, so this is for people who have never listened to the podcast or whatever. The people who listen to you here get, like, a... A refresher. A refresher. Yeah. They get a sip. And it's good to always have an outline of things. You can keep track of what's going on. That's because you're going to be the best professor in the whole entire world. (laughs) And once I get into academia, somebody's going to be like, Isaac, your syllabus? I'm like, what's that? (laughs) What's that? But it's Um, So we have appetizers, which are an icebreaker to get us talking about whatever. Um, And then dinner is served, which is the topic of today, which we're talking about queerness as a politic mm-hmm. which get ready for it. it's gonna be yeah, lit because rachel talked pause here okay <laughs> it's about to be so good and then just desserts where we wrap up everything have church announcements wait rachel we've had this conversation church have we? yes we have uh-huh. about church do you like and our like abrasiveness towards religion it's a complicated thing. Yeah. Because I, were you raised in? Yes. Okay, yes. So Because we're was, both from Wichita, which right, is funny. Right, Um. <laughs> yes, it is very funny, very serendipitous that we ended up in this same space At here, the, exactly, and then in KU and yeah. Lawrence in general. But yeah, I was raised um, religiously um, for a long time, but my parents weren't ever very like stringent about it. Mm-hmm. I kind of took hold of it for a few years and then- Got away from like the, you the know, the road. Yeah, yeah, right. Uh, which I feel like a lot of Midwestern people, especially right. queer black folk, have to go through. Um, Just know yeah. that we're all rolling our eyes multiple times and it's yeah, like, it's fine. <laughs> Exasperation. Like, yeah. love it, also hate it. It is what it is. Um, so I'm asking you last month's question mm-hmm. because it's important. 
But what is your favorite thing about being black and why? I think that my favorite thing about being black is the culture, Mm -hmm. which is a big thing. But like, let me be more specific, right? (laughs) Um, So when I think about being black, there's, you know, the implicit community that we have and Mm -hmm. there's a culture of that. But more specifically, because I'm an artist and a poet um, and I study those kinds of things, just the all of the things that black people have created. uh, We've invented everything that (laughs) matters in this in a cultural context, Um, music, art, food, you know, poetry. It all has so much richness in blackness and Mm -hmm. blackness enriches those things. And it just is. very beautiful to be a part of and to have that history and ancestry and then contribute to it now as well. Cause I think that um, black arts and black culture have been a fundamental part of our survival and our liberation um, forever. So yeah. yeah, that's real. I was um, talking to somebody about this the other day. Well, when I was doing the um, Kansan article with Deja page, thank oh, you. Shout out to Deja page for that article. Yes. But um, we were talking about how, like, podcasts have kept me alive. Mm-hmm. Essentially, like, listening to The Read or The Friend Zone are getting grown, where it's a whole, like, it's just a gaggle of black people talking just about talking. black stuff. Yeah. And I'm just like, this is the only thing that's going to get me through my undergrad. This mm-hmm. is the only thing that's going to get me through this graduate school. Because it's like, we're out there. We're doing things. We don't see each other. And the fact that I have to listen to us create culture inside of my head is, like, piss poor and it makes me so upset but, but that's also, oral tradition right that's the we're old- still <laughs> having to do it's still oral tradition we're literally having to speak one another into existence speak to one another across time and space literally through the internet right um, but how beautiful i mean it would be great if we could just be together right. you know in our, our little liberated um commune down in the south somewhere or in the countryside of paris i don't do even know but like if it's liberated we're safe right so so it could be anywhere this it literally is true. Could be anywhere. yeah but i just like the scenery you know i'm thinking about like the lush rolling there's a lot of different stuff in the south right we've right. got like forests bogs Ooh. like beaches like, like at very some much point. louisiana bayou oh my god i'd be yeah. into it yeah i'd be really we got options in a liberated future oh my gosh i'm really into it well okay so rachel Mm -hmm. i asked a whole bunch of people at one point in time in the month to tell me what their favorite thing about being black was but only choose one word so we're going to add the people who submitted super awesome stories about their experiences as blackness some of them got really intersectional talked about black womanhood it was very powerful so we're going to insert it insert it is that how that works? Either way. And then we're going to listen to them, and then we're just going to expand this conversation. Ooh, I love this. Because, okay. and that's going to be our appetizer. So we're going to disappear for a couple of seconds. You're going to hear a whole bunch of different voices, and it's going to be late. Okay. Are See y'all ready? Yeah. Oh my gosh, bye. <laughs> what I love most about being black in a single word, I would say roots. I would say my favorite thing about being black would be community and not just the community that you're surrounded by, that you live with, not just your neighborhood, which I actually do love that, but it's this feeling, the sense of, of awe, of relaxation, of being able to breathe, being able to be yourself, be true. Um, there's, there's nothing like it when you walk into a room full of 
black people, you can you can finally breathe. Hi, my name is Jenna Lazenby. I'm a junior at the University of Tulsa. I use she, her pronouns. And to describe blackness in one word would be diverse. Because, well, because to me, black is not one thing. Um, Black people are not all the same. Not every black culture is the same. Not black black hair most definitely isn't the same uh, unanimously throughout the black community. So I think that is how I would describe um, my favorite thing about being black is the fact that I come from this culture that is so diverse and it's full of so many people and it's multifaceted and it's enjoyed by so many people and it's just like it's just an amazing culture and the fact that I get to participate in it is something that makes me extremely grateful because not everybody can believe black even though every not everybody but because even though it seems like everybody aspires to be black or have some type of black cultural trait or um some black feature so i think yeah the one thing i love about being black is being a part of a diverse community and just being around diverse people that I can also call black. If I had to describe in one word my favorite thing about being black, it would probably be exclusivity. Exclusivity because we are members of an in-group that so many other people wish they could be members of too. And that in itself is just awesome. The first thing that came to mind was powerful, but I definitely think my blackness is more than just power. There's intelligence behind it. There's a will behind it. And there's also action behind it. Um, So when I think of my favorite thing about being black and everything that I just mentioned, I think that a better word that comes to mind is resilience. Um, I know that being black is hard. There's a lot of things that come along with it um, that I have to deal with that a lot of other people don't have to deal with. Um, And I think the, the favorite thing, my favorite thing about being who I am as a black person is that I'm resilient. So it's, it's like, yeah, I have to deal with all these issues, all these struggles and everything like that. But I'm like Teflon, baby. Don't let this stick. <laughs> or better yet, you know, I'm like I'm like a trampoline. You know, sometimes I get, you know, within myself, I get down. But, you know, I can snap right back. Um, and that's something that I think that. I've been gifted with just as a black person in general that a lot of other people haven't Um, because of the society that we live in, everything's been stacked against us. Um, And by us, I'm speaking specifically from the black experience. Um, I think that it's something to note 
and something to not be ashamed of that, you know, we've been through some shit. <laughs> On the highest of keys, we have been through some shit. And when you think about all of that and then think about the fact that we're still standing, my favorite part about being black is being resilient. Um, and that goes across the board, not just in my blackness, but also in my womanhood. Like, I'm, an in, I'm at an intersection of being a black person as well as being a woman. And so, you know, I, everybody says, well, I'm a woman first before I'm black or I'm, you know, this before I'm this and this before I'm that. I live simultaneously at that intersection. Um, so think of it as a Venn diagram. Yes, I'm black. Yes, I'm a woman. But you have that space in the middle where everything comes together. And that forms me on a very basic level. And so resilience isn't just limited to my blackness. It crosses over from my blackness also to my womanhood. And, you know, things that I love about being a woman are... Um, my definitely my strength I would say that's my favorite part about being a woman but you know resilience and strength definitely go hand in hand so it's kind of like you're kind of like you know in Sailor Moon when she got the moon rod and then she got the crystal to put in the moon rod and then you know her powers amplified that much more I'm Sailor Moon with the fucking moon rod yo like I got the moon crystal and the moon rod together and that is you know long story short um my favorite part about being black. It doesn't just, you know, stop in my womanhood or it doesn't, you know, um, just stop in my blackness, but my resilience is my favorite part about being black. In one word, my favorite thing about being black is resiliency. We are the most resilient culture alive. We have held the world on our backs figuratively and literally. We're the most carbon copied culture alive. They love to imitate us, to be, to want to be us, and to act like us, to look like us, to sound like us. We are the most and the best. And that is why they want to rep our set. Hey, hey. Okay. That's it. All right. And we're back. Okay, cool. I didn't know if we were going to actually Hello. be back. <laughs> y'all i've never done this before i'm having a great time so y'all listen to people talk yeah. great things happened first initial thoughts rachel you go first um i love our first answer of roots i i love just that whole image all the implications of that um but a common theme obviously was resilience something mm -hmm. that i definitely agree with you really got to get back up every single every single moment of every single existing moment not even not waking moment but every no. single existent like when you're asleep you still got to be getting up you know right yeah um yeah i think that the resilience is a really important or fundamental part of being black because mm -hmm. you won't be able to live without it um it's just something that you have to have in order to survive um but this also got me thinking about identity politics um which yes. goes well with our theme of this queer politics good, this is like a great yeah setup good gradient i also want to say that um these like little interludes remind me of solange a seat at the table and when her mom or so a feminine figure is talking about black history month yes. and uh, they just want to bs and it's not you know um it's not bad for black people to be proud of their culture and things like that so just those inter little interludes on solange's album um 
this reminds me of that. So that's cool. A seat at the table, table podcast. Oh, little connection there. Uh, oh, you didn't make the connection. I did. <laughs> oh, that's why I brought it up. Yeah, I love yeah. that. I bring up relevant things only. Uh, <laughs> I love it. I'm yeah. about to fall out because see this oral tradition, ancestral speaking across mediums, across time and space. That's black art. That's what I was talking about earlier. You only stay on point. <laughs> I aspire to be like you. I mean, I mean, you know. Oh, perfect. I love it. What do you think, Isaac? Oh, you know, um, to even echo everything you just said, uh-huh. because I was going to be like, resiliency, it's such a great theme. I love it. Um, the exclusivity portion of it mm-hmm. was very fascinating to just think about, like, the way that black culture like is exclusive and there's only a certain amount of people do that have access to it but also the way that that access can be stripped and taken away and mm-hmm. then cultivated into something else in different cultures aka cultural appropriation right. and not be done right but like also like I don't necessarily feel exclusive I feel I like feel blackness goes across even the span of everything else in the world. Like, mm-hmm. blackness is anti-whiteness, which anti-whiteness is oppressive, and blackness is liberating. Mm-hmm. And I feel like in that, like, scoop of, like, yeah, we're exclusively allowed to, like, understand the things that we talk about and only get it, but at the same time, like, like I was talking about when we were on my first episode about black love. Mm-hmm. Black love is not white love, and in that sense mm-hmm. means that it's love that mm-hmm. I can give to a white person and that's something they won't get from another white person because yeah. they don't get it. Yeah. And that's not exclusive, but it's very embracing. But I guess like exclusive. The experience of way. blackness is exclusive because you right. have to be black to have that experience. Um, and I'm thinking too about like how we understand blackness, like because blackness isn't exclusive to like Africans, you know, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. and that's not just the United States. It's, it's a global thing. It's a, it's a very large nexus of power politics and um, things globally. So I think it's interesting to, when we think about that and how that complicates what blackness is, because I don't know, it's, it's, it's based on experience. And mm-hmm. so it's something that can be shared and extended. And, um, you know, we get to the problematics of like cultural appropriation right. or, you know, um, things like that it's more complicated because of just the manner in which it's gone about and mm-hmm. who ha- who has the power still and right. who's being exploited still um so yeah yeah because yeah. that's also because i think about like because you talked about african and like i'm thinking black panther mm-hmm. very much of course killmonger yes that's all of the black americans that mm-hmm. are in america at the moment um but even also like it took me until literally the premiere that I went to of Black Panther where I wore a daishiki. That was the first time I wore a daishiki outside of the context of an African cultural thing. Mm -hmm. Because I thought, as a black person, I wasn't allowed to wear a daishiki because I wasn't African. Mm -hmm. And that also made, like, that's another black experience, although it's not necessarily my black experience, and that exclusivity portion of it kind of plays into that. But also the power dynamics within that too. Mm-hmm. Like by me being a black body wearing a daishiki, do I like exploit somebody else's like power by wearing that daishiki, which might be something I need mm. to unpack later That's on. That's a whole thing to unpack. But we can talk about African that later. African dialogue, love yes. it. Oh I read at that intersection, yeah. Oh, yeah, look, we can have a whole conversation. That's mm-hmm. another podcast episode. <laughs> it truly is, yeah. But yes, oh my gosh, anything else? Any closing thoughts on... 
what it is to be black in one word, but not really in one word because oh, nobody used one word. I thought of except, a word. I thought ooh. of a word. <gasps> what? Joy. Ooh. That's the word I want to use because despite it all, this ties in the resilience, it ties in the roots, it ties in the art and the culture and mm-hmm. everything about it. It's hard being black <laughs> and there's it's no hard. doubt about that. But there's a lot of joy when it's, there's a lot of joy still wrapped up in it. Yes. Um, and that's part of the resiliency. That's part of the survival is the joy. And so, yeah, that's the word I choose. I love yeah. it. You know what? I think the first word I used might have been joy. Really? I, We're I on the same say, wave. You know we are. Uh, we we, we stay are. on the same yeah. wave. <laughs> we stay in the same like yeah. mindset. Mm-hmm. Like our bodies are like supposed to be conjoined but like for some reason we're two separate bodies and it's fine but like yeah joy is like a word i would want to use um elaborate blackness Mm. is very elaborate Mm -hmm. yeah or um eccentric also i'm feeling that word too i like words. yes yes Yes. i love it okay so we're gonna make it even more elaborate okay by diving into queer politics. Into queer politics, you say. All right. Okay, so we're going to take a break, and we'll be right back to dive into queer politics. I'm ready. Oh, my gosh. Bye. I love that. Oh, my gosh. Okay, I'm saving this forever. And we're back. So, Rachel... We're here to talk about queer as a politic mm-hmm. at Dinner is Served. Yeah. Super pumped. I am too. I don't get to talk about queerness that often. Do you not really? No. What? No. I mean, not in these types of ways. Okay. Where it's not just like me with my like one other queer black friend like being like, ha ha, gay. <laughs> like, you know, <laughs> like this is, this is a different context and mm-hmm. you know because usually the space i'm in it's about blackness yeah um, or womanhood sometimes black womanhood but you know yeah. which like also the pot like what am i supposed to call her the co-host from last month cassie mm-hmm. has a podcast called uppity negress y'all should go check it out they center black womanhood and so it is some a space that is offering that context and like it is very much new wave very different everybody should check it out just plug in friends because podcasts are for everything so anyway so i have a definition of queer oh my gosh Um, read it so we can have an operating framework this is like an academic thing this is the only thing i want to be academic um (laughs) it's kind of long but um queer can be understood as a conceptualization of sexuality which sees sexual power embodied in different levels of social life uh, the problem, the problem, ooh, prob- problematization. That's you got it. Bad. You got it. That's a big uh, word. Of sexual and gender categories and of identities in general. Um, a rejection of civil rights strategies in favor of a politics um, of transgression and parody, which leads to deconstruction, decentering, and revisionist readings and anti-assimilation of politics. Um, a willingness to interrogate areas which normally would not be seen as the terrain of sexuality, like blackness, yes. um, and to conduct queer readings of um, heterosexual or non-sexualized texts. Um, so that's we can expand that, you know, work around it, but um, that is. Um, like a queer theory definition of queer politic, right? right? Um, but we're not trying to work in the institution. No, we we're not. we aren't, but we also are. But we are. <laughs> yeah, we're both. At, I'm an academic. 
Yes. You're you're an academic and everything else, you know. <laughs> so we've got that context, oh but gosh. yeah, I just like to have a operating framework. Yeah, that was like so. When I first created the table, mm-hmm. I was always telling people, I was like, I have to move away from the academia, academia portions of it. I don't want to be an academian because I like I've tar- I coined a term. I didn't coin a term, but I read an article. I read an article where somebody t- called people in inside of academia academians, and I was like, I will never be that. That reminds me of academia nuts. It's just Ooh, funny to me. I like it. Huh? Anyway, because yeah, like professors are nuts. jokes play us on words i love this this is great um but yeah so i was like i would never do that and then applied for a phd program and here we are it just comes out (sighs) speaking of coming out (laughs) let's talk about queerness yeah let's talk about queerness isaac how do you what do you because like my own understanding of queerness is subversion right Mm -hmm. um and non-normativity right and that's very vague and broad but that's the general yeah. kind of operating because like when i think definition. of queerness i just think of different right and like something yeah somebody not subscribing to the norm especially when it comes to like sexuality but like queerness is blackness yes half the time yes. queerness is being differently able or disabled mm-hmm. like identifying as something that is not what white cishet patriarchy tells us to be queerness exactly it's lit but we're talking about a queer politic too which complicates things um because we're talking kind of about maybe the difference between gayness gay rights gay politics versus okay so that goes into the first question okay (laughs) which is what is the difference between queer politic and gay rights movement if there is one Oh, there is. Because there is. There's a big difference. Because I just like to give people the window to say that there isn't, but there is. There, no. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So when you think about gay rights, what do you think about? You think of like marriage equality yeah. and like don't ask, don't tell. I think and... of the human rights campaign. Mm-hmm. I think of ACLU. Mm-hmm, I think of mm-hmm. systems that are already operating. Civil rights. Yeah. Which, like... as I read in the definition, queerness is not. It's transgression. We're not right. trying to operate within a system. Right. Yeah. So it's... It's and what, the work that I don't want to do, basically. Right. Like, and what fails so much in this, because, like, um, I would consider this, like, another form of identity politics, like right. gay gay rights, with quote, air quotes, um, because it's not interrogating, um, you know, the larger systems, and it's centered around whiteness. So mm-hmm. you want to talk about intersectionality and, you know, blackness is queerness, queerness is blackness. Um, that doesn't exist in this realm because um, we're talking about marriage and family and adoption and the military industrial complex and criminalization of bodies and right. who, what queer folks, who dies the most, who's murdered the most. Um, it's not the white gays in suburbia uh, with The white gays in San Francisco. The white gays in Lawrence. New York. The white gays in Lawrence. Let me say that. Be very clear. Let me be clear (laughs) who I'm talking about, who is included in this. Right. Because I have to operate in these spaces, survive in these spaces, um, which are new to me because I come, we both come from Wichita, South Central Kansas, all Mm -hmm. red. Lawrence is like one of the few blue places in Kansas. Right. Um, So, um, the gay slash queer community is not something that I am used to necessarily, but this is also not what it should be no. in terms of inclusivity, safety, anything. It was like like a specific example of like gayness versus queerness mm-hmm. was when I was in D.C. and I would run around and do all this stuff with all of these other um, 
queer people mm-hmm. and like specifically like black gay queer identifying folks who were like let's go do this let's go to the pride festival let's do that and i remember there was a protest that i witnessed which was powerful and made me who i am today mm-hmm. where there was a black and brown people blocking the dc pride parade because Ooh. they allowed the police and like huge corporations into the parade and they were like Fuck that because they're oppressive to people who are indigenous, to people who are black and brown, to people who are undocumented. We're not dealing with this. And when I saw that, I was like, I never want to identify as gay ever again. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes. I don't want to, like, because, because it's a completely it, Not only thing. is it violent and destructive and in opposition to liberation, right. but it's ahistorical, mm-hmm. right? Think of Stonewall. Think of, think of any queer thing. Think of any black thing. Police are not... never good the good guys you know they've never (laughs) been the good guys they never (laughs) will be the good guys so you can't expect me to come out to pride and be happy that you're um commodifying gayness you're commodifying Um, literally liberation in a sense that's supposed to be oh everything's fine because we're cute and we're cuddly no like literally people die Every single mm-hmm. day because of their queer identities. Right. And y'all over here trying to celebrate happiness when I could die tomorrow. At this march. At this march. Literally, at this march. I saw two black people arrested in D.C. at Pride, who, which, it's legal to smoke weed in D.C. Oh, I didn't know that. It's, yeah. We'll, okay. We'll talk about it later off the podcast. <laughs> um, but it's legal to smoke weed. Uh-huh. It's, like, illegal to, dist- um, to sell it. Mm-hmm. They were saying they were selling it. They didn't have enough to sell to anybody on their bodies. And, you know, my ass was trying to stop the whole entire situation and was like, I'll because put my body on the line. Yes. Like, yeah. Yeah. But, like, all the white people I was with at the time were like, Isaac, just let it be. Like, they just probably did something wrong. Of course they did nothing wrong. They're black in America. And because we're in D.C., although y'all think this is safe, it's not. And why would you ever assume that they've, like, quote, done something wrong? Like, when if... You don't ever assume that the police are doing the right thing. No, that's not the and first assumption. And that's the first, first problem with this situation, you know, with their reaction to the situation. You don't ever assume the police are, you know, noble actors. Right. Because like, they're there to enact violence upon our bodies. Um, but yeah, Pride is like the, the queer, not the queer version, but the gay version of the Women's March. Oh um, and let me say that. Um, because the Lawrence, parallel. <laughs> Lawrence loves these marches, the women's they marches. Love a good march. But you know, we have a white supremacist march, defend the flag march, um, and you know, radio silence. What are we? What does this mean? And then when they did talk about it on the radio, they had a black queer man sit there and listen to them talk about all these problematic things mm-hmm. and say like, "Well, it has to be like this, this, and this," and just ha- made him sit there and not go off because of the position that he held and, like, understanding, like, the complexities of being in power and not being able to say things so you can stay in power so you can continue to do that work. But, like, just blatantly sit there and be problematic Mm -hmm. and say, like, we have a black person on, so it's fine. I hate Lawrence. The tokenization. That's why I'm exhausted of my intellectual, physical, emotional, financial labor being exploited to what end? For to be for me to be exploited. That's the end. That's the end. Um, because nobody does better. Nobody shows any kind of difference. Um, I feel, God, especially in Lawrence, we're just trapped in this kind of, uh, this progressive bubble for Kansas, but conservative bubble for the rest of the rest world. of the world. Yeah. 
Exactly. I literally said that today. <laughs> like, that's, that's, ex- that's the only the perfect, reason I, I don't need that. to say anymore. Like that's exactly how to describe it. And it's very self-congratulatory. Um, but yeah, so that's what's operating here. But, you know. Okay. So basically we just, like, this is what I like to say. So there's gay, mm-hmm. there's gay trademark, mm-hmm. and then there's queer. Mm-hmm. <laughs> what we were talking about right then was gay and gay trademark. Mm-hmm. Gay trademarked. Gay trademarked is a more of like an um, overarching term because I feel like queerness is radicalness mm-hmm. also yes. to like play into this conversation because obviously having a trans- transgression and being able to critique and um, invalidate the systems that we have already to say that they're encompassing of all people is very much queerness. But like gay trademarked people would be like, yes, they just say yes. Mm-hmm. They wouldn't do it. But they say yes. So I think, too, with this kind of proliferation of I don't even know what, but everybody's trying to take action. Right. Right. So everybody wants proximity. Everybody wants proximity to to marginalization. Mm-hmm. Everyone wants proximity to violence and danger, um, which, yeah, the people want proximity. And so they're willing to, you know, throw in a good word here or there. But I'm still not protected anyway not validated in every any way right um you know i was just talking to a friend about like what i want from lawrence like just one thing that i want to have here just a space for like queer people of color to like dance and be free and not have like that's literally all i want you know (laughs) know? and i try i try and sit here and create it Mm -hmm. and be like oh i'm gonna go out to this place like all the queer people should come with me specifically queer people of color and i still don't feel safe something happens something because we're a spectacle it's just, it, we're, we're always made to a spectacle, a spectacle we're no matter to twerk, what. Yeah. We're expected to be a stereotype right. in that moment. And it's the language, so the dancing, the music, all of it, it's all supposed to be a spectacle. And so then I have to go and perform, you know? And then I really yeah. actually have to go and perform. Yeah. Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. I, like, literally, I feel like I should be paid every time I wake up every morning and walk outside because somebody's going to be like, I learned so much from you. Mm-hmm. Or you did that. Teach me how to do that. Or like, oh, my gosh, you got me. Like, you corrected me today and it made me feel so validated. See, that's the gay TM or just right. like the woke TM. And uh. it's I'm glad that you're at a point where you can recognize that I'm doing labor. But let's get to a point where I don't have to be exploited for every my labor. single time. You know, that like, I that's something. the next step. Like, uh, they, it's so hard because... I think this semester, I can think of two times where I didn't feel like I was being exploited for my labor. And it was when me and you were talking at Colors. Oh, yeah. That was one of the times. Mm-hmm. And then... I the, love that time. That yes. was a really good time. Yes. <laughs> like, And then there was... Um, so I'm just going to go with one because I can't <laughs> think of the other one right yeah. now. I mean, it's that's how few and far between it is. You know, because I'm constantly like just brooding over the fact that like this shit is hard. And like speaking in a university context, like I haven't gotten to get an education. I've had to sit in classrooms for four years and educate everybody, including the professors. I'm like, hey, like that's racist. Like, hey, that's like homophobic. That's transphobic. Like, right. It's constantly me doing labor, even when I'm paying to quote, be, you know, be educated and to right. have my mind expanded. Any 
intellectual growth that I've had is because of conversation that I've had with other uh, black and brown folks, other queer folks, you know, stuff like that outside of the institution. Because, you know, because even outside inside of the institution, everything is so cookie cutter. It's Mm -hmm. trying to tell you, like, this is how things need to be done. And it's like, no, like my reality does not talk about this. And I've learned so much by sitting in communities with folks Mm -hmm. where like these are all the problems I'm experiencing and I don't know how to deal with them. And it's like, well, let's bounce off some ideas because like we all live with this. Or validate them. Because I'm never validated. Yeah. I'm constantly And so much, especially because we live in, you know, liberal Lawrence. You, I can't say like, oh, that person called me the N word. You know, like that's not what that's not that's well, not what happens. Not what is always happening? <laughs> Let me say that it's um, happening behind closed doors, full of white faces. But right, I, <laughs> yeah, but yeah, I can't be like, here is this like overtly racist thing in which this happened. Right. It's more like my body is constantly being chipped away at. My body and soul are being constantly chipped away at um, because of mediocrity, because of apathy. Um, you know so on and so forth because like even with us like I know we do great work and we get awarded for the work that we do and even with that I still do not feel like my labor is actually being like given as much grace as it needs to be Mm -hmm. as much of it if I was a white body if I was doing the same shit I was doing and I was also white I would be famous by now yeah I'd be famous. I can anyone in our not anyone in our community, but like I know quite a few specific people who are in this exact same position where um, we are recognized at times, and you know have that like, oh, thank you for teaching me all of this stuff all the right. time. Um, and then I'm thinking too. You remember I was talking about joy, and we're talking right. about liberation and queerness as like a way to liberation. Um, yeah, I just. Like, let's remove the necessity for this in the first place. Like, why are you not interrogating the institution? Why are you not doing your own research? Because that's another thing, especially as we're talking about queerness, that right. which we have to come into because of our socialization, especially mm-hmm. in the red Midwest. Uh. Um, I didn't come out of the womb, you know, knowing all of this. I've come out of the womb experiencing all of this, but... I've had to read and talk and listen. I've had to listen a lot to be able to name things, to be able to navigate conversations the ability right. that I with the ability that I have. Um, so you have to put in work to get to this point and nobody seems to believe me. <laughs> right. And so I was at a thing. It was a dismantling whiteness event, which like, oh. you know, good and well. I walked up in there like, I want to hear what white people are about to mm-hmm. do because mm-hmm. I'm so fascinated by like white people talking about whiteness and then actually not doing anything about yeah. it. And they were sitting there and they were like, Anthony asked a very profound question of like, what are white people actually doing to dismantle whiteness within the university, within their lives, within their socialization so that they can do better? And all I heard was white guilt. All I heard was people saying, man, Maybe I just feel so bad about all these other people, so I'm, like, working on me internally. But, like, where's the action-oriented steps where you're not uplifting black and brown students who are doing phenomenal work in your departments, and you're just like, well, this is what you're doing, and I'm going to try and give you, like, as many resources as possible. But are you giving them the credit for helping you unlearn? Mm -hmm. Are you giving them the space and, fuck, monetary, like, coin that you need to give them mm-hmm. for getting you correct in your own classroom. Right. 
it's so frustrating to listen and hear people talk about their experiences with their professors in this university and in my last university, probably in universities in general, where like, we have to go off and be a spectacle again mm-hmm. for people to actually shift the dynamic and the conversation that's happening. Mm-hmm. And it sucks because we're supposed to be in fields like English and like social sciences or like social work where we're where supposed to be social justice. Yeah. We're supposed to be liberated. Right. We're supposed to be doing the good work. And I'm still over here cussing folks out because they don't get it. But y'all have books. I know what kind of access to, like, materials you, like, have because I'm searching on the same search engines as you are. Right. Like. And it's also because people have such a normative, non-queer understanding of what it means to take actionable steps towards something. right? Right. So they're like, well, I can't overthrow all of KU so I'm just gonna sit and feel bad for myself because I'm white like I need you to just put somebody on the syllabus you know I need you to like say to the white student sitting next to me telling me that slavery wasn't that bad I need you to say something right that's the kind of labor that I'm asking for the bare minimum I can go and overthrow the system because like I obviously have the capacity and the frameworks to do that right I need you to make these spaces not violent and hostile not conducive to my education to my growth Um, because you're the the lack of uncomfort that somebody experiences is the like present of violence within somebody's life and like I am constantly uncomfortable that's a beautiful way to put it I am constantly (laughs) uncomfortable because I know what it feels like to have violence perpetrated on me where I have no control in stopping it. Right. And I don't want anybody else to feel the way I feel. Now, white people don't necessarily have to feel that. Non-queer people don't necessarily have to feel that. But I know you felt uncomfortable. <laughs> Mm-hmm. And I know what it feels like to be uncomfortable, but I also know what it feels like to walk down the street and get yelled at, uh, be called a faggot by somebody driving in a giant ass truck. I know what it's like to get beat up by a group of guys on the street walking to my car. Mm-hmm. And that's like, I don't see how you don't have enough empathy and compassion for other human beings to not just do a simple, hey, that's not cool because you think slavery is not that big of a deal. Right. And like, because you don't want to take that risk. And it's My all, life is a risk. it's all white professors. They're like, oh, well, I'm a, I need to be remain neutral. Like, you're not Desmond Tutu. He says, you know, <laughs> if you choose, if you choose to stay silent, you're on the side of the oppressor. Right. You're enabling. This is not, we, we don't exist in a vacuum. It's a, At all. it's a nexus of power politics. If my white professor is sitting and letting this white student, you know, say that slavery wasn't that bad or that um, just like anything, anything that they say um, (laughs) and just let that happen. You're enabling that. You're co-signing that with your silence. Community breath. (laughs) Yeah. Breathe in the roses. Blow out the candles. Okay. We're back. We're back. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, my gosh. That was that was what that I was needed. a whole survey of like Lawrence queerness, gayness, just, the academic context. Just you know, know all places that it's fucking hard. Yeah, it's just fucking hard. It's hard, and we're not talking about anything else. We're not talking about mental illness. We're not talking about class. We're not no. talking about no. We're not even talking about half of it. Mm-mm. We're not even. We're not there. <laughs> we're we're just at the surface. Yeah. Oh gosh. Okay. Next question. When thinking about politics or the person being the political. How does queer manifest itself in your own life? Um, it is kind of the overarching word that I use to describe myself. You mm-hmm. know, 
we we've established that blackness is queerness right um inherently it's non-normative so I, it encompasses that encompasses gender sexuality my politic all of that um so queerness is constantly operating in my life it's in how i dress literally how i walk what mm-hmm. music i listen to how i dance how i speak how loud i speak um the things i say the people i choose to cite all of these things are intertwined in a politic the personal is the political as audrey lord says right um you know so Queerness is my life, and I have to check for myself and make sure that it's always operating to its fullest um, because there's fear, you know, um, because of the violence and because of the invalidation and the risk um, constant. Just it's constantly a threat. There's always a constant threat, right? Um, so sometimes, you know, Audrey Lord says as well, you know, mm-hmm. we can't be silent. Um, you have to essentially speak your truth. Right. Um because fear is power and you can't you can't let that you play, let you, that you, play you, you know. Um and so that's that's why like writing and art and reading and talking to people um and being I'm not necessarily a loud person, but I say things. Um, mm-hmm. And that's because, like, I don't talk a lot. Uh, but when I do, um, it I try. It tends to have some weight. Um, <laughs> a lot of weight. Sometimes you shut down rooms. <laughs> yeah, I, because words matter, and right. so I try to keep them to that. You know, saying things that matter. And um, yeah, so when I when queerness is operating in every aspect of my life, that's that's what I mean. Is that it's a constant presence, a constant framework. It's inherently who I am. Like, it's my identities as well. Um, Yeah. That's real. Yeah. I feel that. I guess for me, queerness shows up in a lot of ways. It showed up way before I knew it showed up. And Mm -hmm. I think that's... Yes. It's really powerful. Because I had a podcast episode where I was talking to my mom. And my mom was talking about how, like, you've always been different. Mm -hmm. And I have pictures of myself posed like the queen I am um like stunting pose <laughs> like five-year-old Isaac didn't care right and how like socialization told me that my queerness was, was wrong. wrong yes and I'm now reclaiming it like I've started doing the things that I've always wanted to do but didn't do because of fear right and so queerness is those parts of you that people beat out of you and you decided you wanted to take back Yes. And that's oh where, yes. That's Say it again. Me. <laughs> Say it again. Hold on, let me figure it out what I said. Hold <laughs> on. <laughs> Queerness is the parts of you that people be out of you. <laughs> I'm mouthing the quote back to them so that they can remember. Queerness uh, is the parts of you that people beat out of you and you're reclaiming. Mm-hmm. Yes. Uh yeah, that's a beautiful way to put it. And that's all I got. Yeah. That's all I got in that question. Yeah. Hum. Because you know, what I see a lot, and especially in um, people who sit at the mar- like not margins, but like thinking of a spectrum, the people who sit in the center of the spectrum mm-hmm. of like um, sexuality, gender, stuff like that, they're always like, I can always just choose to opt my way out and pass. I can choose my way to opt out and not claim what I truly am for safety. Mm-hmm. And that's your truth if you want that to be your truth. Also, that risk portion. A lot of the times, queer people who are of color or queer people who have disabilities or queer people who have some other intersection do not get that option to just be like, I'm going to subvertly shut off a part of me that nobody really needs to know. I don't get to walk into a space and be like, oh yeah, I'm like black and I'm straight today. Like I only like girls. 
my voice does not let me say that. <laughs> like uh, mm-hmm. the parts of me that I decided to stop code switching about myself, and now I don't know how to code switch anymore, mm-hmm. which is tragic. But not really. It just scares no, academics. You're, that's, you're it just freedom. terrifies yeah. academics. They're like, "Why did he discuss us out today?" And I'm like, "I just don't care anymore." Yeah. Um, but like those, it's because it's catering to whiteness, which is not queer. Catering to whiteness is not, not queer, queer, and we that's don't play queer. that. Uh-uh. We just don't do that anymore. But that part of me where I'm like, I have to be queer to survive at this point, and because of that liberating feeling, that liberation that I got from that high mm-hmm. that I got from being the parts of me that people told me was wrong, I'm like. Y'all can't make me And, like, think about how queer that survival is to begin with. Mm Because I'm thinking about how much fear is wrapped up and how unsafe it is to exist while queer and exist while black and all these different intersections, uh, but to still do it unapologetically. Because people are like, you do all of these things and you say all of these things. Are you ever scared? And I'll sit back and think, like, maybe I should be. I mean, (laughs) like, technically. There is people out here trying to kill us. Yeah, like, I am (laughs) at risk. But at what cost? And... It's more important to me to live my authentic truth right. as much as I can because I do still keep parts of myself for safety. Like that's right. still operating. You know, we're not. But the fact is that whiteness and like normativity right. allows people to operate in their truth constantly. And when I just decide to be authentic, all of a sudden I'm violent. I'm terrifying. I'm scary. I'm different. I'm all of these different. Th- like I'm I'm just different. Mm-hmm. I'm not that norm. And that terrifies people because my authenticity is a weapon to stop the system that that helps you thrive and be your most authentic self. When we could all just be authentic if you just let me fucking breathe. That's a but... queer politic, you know, because well, I'm not fighting for marriage rights. You know, I'm or fighting not. for like trans health care and like police, the abolition of prisons. Right. Like, These are larger things than you wanting to assimilate to white Western capitalist culture. Um, Because when has that ever helped me? I don't want it. (laughs) I don't want it. And so like even my concepts of liberation are affronting to people when I say, you know, I I don't even know. But like I want restorative justice. I like when I say that I support prisons being abolished, people are like, well, whoa, what does that mean? Like, It means that we actually heal the people who are right. broken because of the society that they live in rather than throwing them all away and putting them in a space so they can cultivate that brokenness right. and then perpetrate it out to other people. Yeah. And it's like that's fault. an ahistorical like when people are like, well, why would you ever think of restorative justice? That's an ahistorical understanding of what punitive um, punishment has been. Um it's nothing like Has the, it ever the carceral system is just to enslave black and brown people in a literal sense. Like read the new Jim Crow by Michelle Alexander. Literally, um, Ronald Reagan was out here trying to fuck us up. Literally. So I you can't have an ahistorical understanding of new conceptions. Not new. This is not new. They're not um, new. I'm wearing Angela Davis like I do every day. Yes, she's she's the OG, OG, you know? Um Yeah. Abolitionist speaking. Yeah. It's Rachel. Yeah. It's Rachel. <laughs> it's Rachel. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Next question. Um, I don't even know. I can't read my own typing because that's typing, a that's a new thing. That's new in that's the technological new. age. At your intersections, can you tell me if queerness is complementary, separate, mm-hmm. and or something else when it comes to the way you navigate the world? Which we literally have been talking about this the whole time. That's what we've been talking like, about. Yeah. Hmm. I'm just thinking about all the cool ways you can perform queerness. Oh my gosh, yes. Like, it's like infinite from like 
what I carry my keys on to like, you know, I don't even, it's just like everything is a space for you to fuck it up, to right. be queer. Because to be queer is to just be abrasive and yeah. have people like shook. Cause people are constant. I mean, it's probably because I'm black. You know, I don't know. I don't so know. So it's queerness blackness? I don't know. Oh, like God. People are constantly staring at me, you know, always like, what the fuck are you doing? And I'm just sitting there, you know, being black, being queer, being a woman, being a femme. I don't, I don't know. I don't know, but I'm not concerned with I'm that. Never because I'm not trying to center affected. whiteness. No, it's like whenever I wa- I was in undergrad when I started buying all those shirts that I have that say like oh, right. very yes. powerful phrases, yes. and I'm just like fuck y'all. I don't yeah. even have to actually say words for you to know what I'm about. The, I, my freshman year, I had a black power pick in my hair all the, all time. the time. I wear Angela Davis every day. I have Ida B. Wells earrings. Like we're not playing. We don't care, and that already sends this tone of queerness of like those people are different. Mm -hmm. I can either fuck with them or I don't, but there is no in-between. And that's why, literally, I talk to people all the time and they're like, Isaac, like, you have all these problems happen to you, but, like, is it because of the things you wear? Is it because of the way you show up? I'm like, probably, but also the reason why I have such great people in my life is because of the things I wear and because of the way I show up. One of the most important things that I've learned is that if you don't want me, I don't want you. At all. And that's that's applicable to institutions, and that's applicable to people. It's it's it it is a relation to everything. Right. Because if I cannot be at least some portion of my authentic self with you, then I don't need to be expending that energy with you. Um, I'm not going to be like speaking institutionally. I'm not going to be producing good work, the good work that you want me. Right. If, the good you know, work that you, you want me to do. Right. Exactly. Not the other you know, way the still yeah, still conform, but like you just can't can't be doing that. No. <laughs> yeah. That's real. So I think the consensus we have came to mm-hmm. is that yes, <laughs> the answer is just yes. Yes. Yes to whatever. Yes I to ask. queer. Yes, yes to queer. Yes to queer. Yes to queer. It's yeah. our new um, campaign trail. I don't know what me and Rachel are running for. But would we be running for things? Actually, no. You know, not at all. Right? You're not institutional. Why am I even trying to engage in politics? Because my don't even my. Oh. capitalistic unlearning of the world is still working. Mm-hmm. I still want to have laws on books to protect my queer brothers and sisters. Mm-hmm. And I also don't want to engage, like which is where I'm at. It's right complicated. It's so and complex. the thing is, too, is that um, I do my work and my things and have my politic. Um, but I know some wonderful people, surprise, surprise, who like, are working in student center and are working in the institution right. um, to save my ass, like to in doing keep the work, me alive. right? Doing the work that I cannot do because I don't, I don't have it in me. And mm-hmm. so there are, there are, you know, those, you know, good people out there. The good um, ones. And that's what I tell people because um, when they hear stuff like that, well, they're like, oh, Rachel, I just can't be as radical as you are. And I'm like, there's you know, always another side of the coin. Yeah, yeah, there is because. Um, you could still have a radical politic because, like, being anti-racist is, you know, radical. a radical politic, and um, saying no to the domination of Greek life at KU is ra- that's hella radical. Hella radical. You <laughs> know, so you don't have to be doing the same. See, monolithic, binaristic Western thought dictates that there's only one way to do things. And that's why people only go to marches or they only make posts on Facebook or this or that or the other. And there's no there's not a widespread understanding of what you need to be doing in your own sphere to overthrow things, to be radical, to liberate us. Because because the thing is. 
the ones who get monetary or fame when they're doing this work are the ones who are going to those marches. They're the DeRay McKeesons. Oh. We don't okay, have to pop, go there. Like, we don't have to go there. Pops. We're just going to let that win. You heard his name. Yeah. You know how Think I on feel. it. Think on it. Think about yeah. it. Um, the Sam Whites of America. <sighs> the... Um, the Tim Wises, the shit, I'm just really, if I ever get famous and I meet these people, they're going to be like, remember that one episode where you came for my neck? And I'm going to be like, I Hello? still feel that way. Like, <laughs> like, I'm not done yet. Right. Um, but yes, yeah. those individuals who are doing the work for things that I can question, but also like not giving people the material to do that work in their own spaces. It's they're like, not empowering people. They're not. And that's not a queer radical politic because we're not, We you shouldn't want or need fame or acclaim. Monetary support is important, but I know so many, not so many, um, I'm just thinking of Jamila in particular right. um, and how she community builds and has like no resources. Where does it help? You know, like she has no resources, but the it's magnificent. It's getting better. It's it getting is getting better. better slowly but surely. This semester especially, oh, no, there's like been a big shift. Um, but just community builders in general, like we don't ever go down in history books. Like we don't ever get paid. We don't ever get to sleep. Yo. But you know, that's that's where the work is happening, and the healing needs to happen in our communities, not on CNN. Because no. I'm I'm here for healing. Uh, that's another part of right. radical right, 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 politics. Right. Yeah. Like healing, community healing, yes. making sure people have food to feed themselves yes. so they can actually heal. Because mm-hmm. when you don't have basic necessities, you can't be held, like, held, healed. Heal. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I, I, I really Helped. don't help. <laughs> um, but, like, I think about it a lot because when I think about social work and what I'm doing right now, uh-huh. we always talk about, like, Well, isn't it all social justice and all this other stuff? I'm like, yeah, doing mental health work for white suburban moms who have anxiety looks a lot different than me feeding black and brown queer folks who come into my agency. Out of my own pocket. Out of my own pocket. Yeah. Because that's different. And, the like... Both of them are necessary. I'm not saying that white suburban moms don't deserve therapy, but they can pay for therapy. Mm-hmm. It's access. They have access yeah. to resources that can keep them comfortable. They also don't have the system operating against them. <laughs> you know, that's another Jesus. big thing. <laughs> that's you know, <sighs> in the corner is that the whole system is not set against them and not set up for them to fail. And just, it's so, it's not even complex. It's really just not that complex. And people like to make it really complex because they're just like, well, you need to care about me and you need to know where I'm coming from. It's like, I care about your feelings. I really, really do. But comparative to the fact that, like, I may walk out of this building right now and get shot by a police officer for whatever the fuck reason is a lot different than We're me not caring in the about same your realities. feelings. It's not yeah. the same world. Mm-hmm. And just... I don't know how to have that conversation and, unless I'm talking to another queer person. But, like, look at that. What are they prioritizing? White feelings over black life. And that's what it always comes down to. White discomfort over black life. You know? Right. Like White guilt, you know? What does it white. feel like when I don't have the energy to do the work, but I'm still doing the work because I am a black body, but Alive. I have white people who are around me who are like, I'm really tired and I can't show up to this protest because I can't and there's too much risk in it and there's too much stuff. Because at the end of the day, I still have to do that work and I can't prioritize myself because my queer politic and who I am as a person tells me 
that that is not going to say create the world that's going to liberate everyone. It's and myself as the collective too, like I like this. We're all one kind of like body that I'm fighting for. Like right. I am the community. The community is me. Um, despite our nuances and despite the problem, like despite all of it, like at the base, I'm fighting for liberation for everybody. You right. know, I'm not gonna. Yeah, that's that's what it's about. And so I can't um, divorce myself from going to the events or, you know, saying something or showing up at whatever it because is, you know. If I don't do it, who's going to Who do it? Because I'm not like That's literally the thought uh, I have every damn day. I wake up and I'm like, Rachel. Somebody's gonna say some fuck shit. Somebody, <laughs> you, you might as well just stay home. But then you're like, well who's gonna who's gonna say something? And who's gonna do the work that I am doing every single day? Cause it's like I care so much for the people around me. And I get so frustrated because I get so tired caring for them and not feeling the reciprocity. Is that a reciprocity? Reciprocity Mm -hmm. that needs to be there. And the only thing that's stopping us from being there is literally our identities. Mm -hmm. It's the fact that I was raised in a home where my community was who I was serving at all points in times. And when my community became the world, that meant that I was serving the world and that anything that happens in the world, I have to figure out how to fix, which is literally not the burden of myself, but I have put that on myself and that's where I'm at right now. Mm-hmm. Probably why I have mental health problems. It's whatever. But now we've got some context. But we have context. <laughs> um, but the thing is, like, if I'm not eating or if I'm eating and somebody else is, I don't feel comfortable. I don't feel good because I know that somebody else is starving. Mm -hmm. And I don't think that's how everybody else operates. Mm -hmm. And I feel like it's radical to even operate like that. Because the constant cognizance of your violence. Right. Because we're all, we can say whatever we want, but we're all complicit in violence in intense ways, especially as Westerners. That's my, that's my, my not new thing, but what I'm trying to center more recently is, you know, Decolonize your thought process because this is decolonize your thought process. Okay, I just need them to hear. Because I (laughs) wish if white people thought didn't do anything but just thought about race a quarter, nay, ten percent of what I of how much I think about it and have to act and do things regarding race or gender or queerness or any intersection of those things, the world would be fixed. If they just had any consideration for any anyone, any identity other than themselves um, and had an understanding of the nuanced ways in which everything operates in conjunction. Like it's not just blackness. It's not just queerness. People don't understand intersectionality is what I'm saying. They actually don't saying. get it. People genuinely use that as a buzzword. Talk about intersectionality. They've leveled all up the to you. Now they cite Kimberly Crenshaw. They're like, oh yeah, it was her too. But then, <laughs> then they don't the, do anything with it. It's as far as you yeah. go because you're not really talking about <laughs> yeah. intersectionality. The reason why Kimberly Crenshaw even said anything about that was because of the fact you're not seeing me as a black woman. You're seeing me as a black person. That was the court woman. case. Yeah. And people are like, well, 
Yeah, intersectionality. I am white and I have mental health issues. I'm like, sis, I'm dying. Like, help yeah. me. Like, you're not, like, you're not seeing me. All the time. I'm dying. Please, Please help, help me. me. Please do Please something. Help me. Yeah. And it's like, why are you dying? Because I'm a complex fucking human being. Y'all aren't seeing me for all my complexities. You're saying I have psychosis because I'm a black man, but really I have PTSD because I'm fucking black in America. Right. And y'all can't see that. Can we talk about... I don't know if this is like a new episode thing, but like the trauma of existing As, because oh. it's really, really getting to me in a profound way lately. The trauma of ex- Yeah. Next episode topic. Okay. Drop that one down, everybody. Put it down. The trauma then of existing. Somebody email me and tell me what to put because I'm going to forget the moment I walk out of here. Whew. Yeah. <sighs> okay. Whew. Back to queerness? Back to... Have we ever strayed from it? I don't think I don't we ever think left. So because, okay. you know, we have a... Multi-dimensional understanding of what it yeah, is. Yeah, we just, okay. So this is the last question. Um, is queerness a political entity that works for all queer people? I think we broke that down. Queerness is a queer politic? Queerness is a also, queer politic. Also, can you be queer and not have a queer politic? Yes. Because, oh, okay. I mean, like, thinking of the encompassing of what, like, queerness yeah. is defined as for most people. Mm-hmm. Like, right, it's the, right, that right, umbrella right. term right. of, like, oh, yes. enca- encapsulating, yes. like, LGBTQIA plus individuals, that definition. Mm-hmm. Your definition that you read, absolutely. No. <laughs> like, like, absolutely. Yeah. Okay, I'm, like, seeing, I'm seeing the distinction here. Yeah. So, no. So, gay TM yeah. comparative to queerness. Right. Yeah. Not the same thing. It's weird, too, because everybody's quality of life would just be leveled up, you know, if people weren't being shot in the streets and dying because they didn't have health care. Or me getting pissed off every single moment that I turn on television because somebody who looks like me is dead and, like, are going through something. We can talk about this later on the trauma of existing, but that has literal physical effects. It has a history of killing black women. Um, You want to know why black people have heart problems? (gasps) Think about it. Oh. Think about it. The connection. Yeah. Think about how often you're sitting in class, you know, when Becky next to me is saying that slavery wasn't that bad. Or this happened to me literally like yesterday. This white woman sitting in class and we're talking about feminism and Spanish in my Spanish class, you know, where like there's like a brown context. right? <laughs> and she's asked, you know, is feminism only, literally it was a leading question to expose her um is feminism only the equality between genders and nothing else and she was like yeah yeah guys like it's just equality between genders and i was like are you kidding me and my you know my heart is because i'm like i'm gonna have to say something like and i did um but i'm gonna what die cost? from a heart attack a heart at the attack. age of 35 yes, because literally. of the world that i live in it's not it's, it's cor- there's a correlation yeah 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 I need a white person who listens to this podcast to send me $70 so I can go get my heart checked because I'm pissed. Because a cardiologist. Somebody, add $70 for the cardiologist. <laughs> Just need 70 Yeah. I don't know if that's how much it costs because I might need more. We'll, we'll they'll, they'll adopt. They'll, they'll, they'll work with I'll roll weeks. up to the cardiologist <laughs> yeah, and be like, but... how much do you need? Yeah. I only got $70. Um, I got a check for reparations here, so uh, go ahead and take me. Take that? <laughs> yeah. And also, whatever else it costs, Yeah. put that on my reparations. Right, Bye. yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, that's the end of it. Check my heart. I'm dying. <sighs> okay, we're going to take a break. Then we're going to come back. And I think we deserve the right to talk about our experience yesterday. 
Was that yesterday or two days it ago? It was Tuesday. Tuesday. Yes. Hanif Adurakeep. We're going to talk about it. Okay. We'll be back. And we're back to talk about joy. In particular, AKA yeah, AKA the manifestation joy. of joy. Manifestation of fuck me up. <laughs> we <laughs> saw Hanifa came to Lawrence, Kansas on Tuesday. He did. And he came to Liberty Hall and read a little bit for us. Read a little bit. Read a little bit. <laughs> and um, yeah, this is about joy. That was, um, some of you might have been there, um, our yes. listeners. Um, just know that that was a night of profound ancestral healing like he it was profound i don't know how to describe to you what i was feeling right so i'm going to tell you okay the um, the way that i was reacting to all of his work i would scream Mm -hmm. but i would muffle it because i was in public Mm -hmm. in a very white space and i felt like if i screamed Everybody would have known it was me, (laughs) and I didn't want to, like, take up that space. But I did muffle screams. Um, I gasped. Um, This white lady tried to talk while he was speaking, and I shushed her. Like, that's how sick—I don't do that often. I do not do that often, because usually, like, when it's, like, an individual act of whiteness, Mm -hmm. like, I'm like— Let it slide. I'm going to let that slide for a moment. Like, she was speaking. I turned to her, and I was like, shh. And I was like, that was That's what they do character. to us. How many times does that happen to me? It's like, happened to me yeah. all the time. But like, I always like to think I'm better than that. Right. <laughs> Not right. in that moment. Right. I was like, <laughs> um, do you see that kind sir up on that stage speaking to us? Mm-hmm. You're not going to interrupt him for me. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. I was pissed. Anyway, just people. Um, when I cried, it was violent. Mm-hmm. It was violent tears. Of joy. Violent tears of joy is because I've never felt as seen as I was listening to him give his, like, read his poetry. Because I felt his feelings, but also, like, connected my feelings to his. I just, and I bought both of his books. Mm -hmm. Didn't go up there to get him to, like, speak to him, to say anything to him. Because I was afraid to talk to him because I was waiting for him to project himself onto me and then realize I am him. And then have this, like, out-of-body experience and lose it. Like, I would have fell out in Liberty Hall. It would have been so bad. Well, I was excited to see him. I had read his book of essays, They Can't Kill Us, They Kill Us, uh, beforehand. And first of all, of course, obviously, he's an amazing writer. Like, phenomenal writer. Um... I think that he will be part of the canon, um, along with Evie Wing and Dennis Smith. Um, All three of those people, I believe, sincerely are part of the canon. Canon. But aside from that, he writes about music, and I say that loosely. I haven't been like saying that to people because he doesn't. He doesn't write about. He doesn't really write about because he does. It's like his whole life, but he writes about race and culture and gender and like, like profound, like existing. And it's just, and it's political. It's and so political. I, I don't know. You have to read it. You And I can't I can't explain how I felt the, there either. I've been literally. It was just a feeling. <sighs> right. Yeah. At the end, 
so I also had some not completely similar. I felt, um, you know, I'm usually vocal at readings because I try to get rid of that normative white, like stuffy, like we can't breathe the entire time we're listening. Um, but these these noises were like deep sighs. Like he would say something, I'd be like, oh, like, oh. it's just like it was through your whole body because you felt it. Mm-hmm. Like it was. I don't know. I love poetry that I hear and I can feel vibrate through me. Yes, that's exactly what it was. And it wasn't because the mic was so loud. It was literally (laughs) because those words hit you and were like, either this is you, you felt this, or you know how this feels in a different context. But it was like... And it's such a concentrated, poignant feeling. Because we were talking about like exclusivity and proximity before. But like it was such a poignant and concentrated energy and feeling that like you felt it even if you didn't feel it. Right. You know? He literally had me... So the last poem he like read, the what like when he was talking about his seatbelt, and then... I sat there and had to unpack the fact that I, like me and my friend Erin talked about this. She knows where she is at mentally based on if she wears her seatbelt or not. Mm -hmm. I don't wear my seatbelt. I didn't realize that I didn't care enough about my own black body Mm -hmm. to not wear my seatbelt. Because not because I consciously was like, oh, I just want to die sometimes. It's just it's the subtle, slow violence that permeates your life and then influences your actions in ways that you can't even identify. And now I'm wearing my seatbelt everywhere I go because I'm like, fuck this shit. Like, I'm like, keep saving my life. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. Literally, that poem, like every aspect of it, I was like. Brief context. Um, yeah, Hanifa Durakib, Um He, the last piece that he read, um, it does was he, an essay about. Does he have about, a name for it? Um, yes, I had him write it in my, um, the Cronite Worth his book of poetry that, yeah, um, yeah. but he told me um, it, it, it hasn't been published yet everyone by the way so you can't read it um, <laughs> we just only it got to hear it <laughs> yeah we got to hear it it was Exclusive. the second time that he'd read it and according to his Twitter pro- possibly the only time that he's cried while reading it in public because he was crying because I was crying right. and I Isaac's, know that I, Isaac witnessed so <laughs> like, we, we had that whole energy but anyway he got off of the stage at Liberty Hall dragged the mic down to the middle of white Liberty Hall and he read this piece an essay about Julian Baker, you know, because he writes about music, but it's right. not about Julian Baker. It's about blackness and safety and fate and love and transcendence. And I cried the whole damn time. I can't tell you like a quote from it or like, but everything stuck with me. You know what I'm saying? There were tears the whole time. Right. And I've never felt so seen and heard. And to see a black man standing in the middle of, not an arena, but like a A, a sea show of whiteness, space. a yeah, literal a sea, sea of, of whiteness. And like a performance space. Um, subvert, that was queer to get off of the stage and stay in the middle of all of that. Oh, so very queer. Queer and brave, you know? No. And it was like, it was, I literally thought it was like Jesus, you know, walking amongst amongst the people. I was shocked. It was literally a sea of us and he was grabbing us by the necks emotionally and just like you're gonna listen just like shaking us yeah. violently and just like you're gonna hear yeah. you and I'm like yeah. Ah. Yeah. but like even even the way he answered people's questions so matter of fact and like um when he started talking about power bottom I, I like people don't understand yeah. my like obsession with queer music like and I loved power bottom mm-hmm. And then to find out that they were violent, but they were so cathartic for, like, queerness and queerness right. in music and queerness in, like, safety and politics and, like, all of it. And then they were like, 
oh, yeah, we're also problematic and we exploit young, like, children who come to our concerts. And I'm like, understanding that everybody is problematic, one, cool, get it. Also understanding that, like, for people in those demographics who love these people because they they finally allow them to see themselves. Right. And then it's snatched away because they're not. Violently they're violent. Away. They're violent. Their violence violently snatches away that stuff. Like, I think about that a lot about, like, the um, black man that we will not name but basically created black spaces for all black people in Hollywood. Like, I'm still upset about that. And it's not because, oh, I get to understand that he, like, did all these problematic things. It's because that is a, that's a w- area of whiteness winning. Yeah. And this is another, with Power Bottom, the same situation. This is an area of heteronormativity winning. Wow. Yeah. And it fucks me up. But when he answered that, and he answered it so concisely of, like, yeah, if I wrote a piece about somebody who became problematic and I hadn't published it in a book, like, yeah, I'm taking it out immediately. But if I already posted posted that and that person did that, like, I have to reckon with myself how I feel about that, and that's going to take me time. But nobody can get mad at me for writing that piece. Because at one point in time, that person was good for all of us. And that's so outside of the realm of what people understand justice to be because we were operating, and call-out culture, the term and the critiques of it have been appropriated to enable, like, problematics. Right. But... We don't give people space um, like to process, right. not for the people who are doing violent things, but for us to like be like, holy shit, like that thing that literally kept me alive, that kept me from dying, um, that illuminated a new aspect of myself or validated a new a, a part of myself, you know, have that violently snatched away from you. You feel betrayed and hurt. Personally attacked. Um, yeah. And. So often the people that they're victimizing are people, are you, you know, mm-hmm. like that could have been, if you were in that space, that could have been you. And that's just a profound kind of hurt. And we just, I don't, I, I don't think we've established like a, a grieving process, not for them, but for ourselves. Right. And because that's part expected, of the healing. We're expected to just follow along right. with this, like, we're going to cancel them and they're out of it. Like it's gone. It's by. And it's like, yo, I, I literally don't know anything about it, but, like, if one of these problematic people die, like, I'm still going to be upset. And, like, Like, especially when we're talking about problematic people, in quotes, to, like, a lesser extent. Like, somebody who just, like, slipped up and said the wrong thing and then, like, genuinely appalled. You know, like, those kinds of things. And it's always interesting to see the identities that those people hold because people love to throw black women under the goddamn bus. Right. And say we're never... Every, every single one of your white faves is problematic inherently because in- not a single inherently. there's not a single white superstar up there who's anti-racist and anti-sexist and anti like who is holistically radical with the powers that they have and so that's inherently problematic like I can be mad about that am I gonna cancel you am I gonna cancel them like no but you sure love to throw black women under the bus you, you sure, sure love to throw love me under them. the bus when I don't, don't when even I slip know up this much like literally right. the most minimal amount of slip up and like and you know my ass like apologize <laughs> like we're not allowing these things to reoccur once it's been pointed out mm. um it's not like some of these passive. Um, white politics where you have to be constantly reminded like you check me and it's done right i fixed it 
uh, as much as I can. You know, I still mess up, but I just we we have to stop canceling people, especially um, the very people who um, give and fight for life right. <laughs> um, and liberation. I don't know. I just I just have a lot of problems. People throwing black women under the bus, but I mean, don't we all? I no, <laughs> no. <laughs> Not everybody does. You know, I said that and was like, uh, I said that and it was like, wait a minute. Wait a minute. <laughs> yeah. Hanif, amazing, brilliant, yeah. gave me joy. Read I was kind work. of fucked up yesterday because of all of that, but like, I got through it. It was just so be. I think that that night was. One of the best nights, if not the best night of my undergraduate years. Ooh. Yeah. Because um, I, I actually made a list. Um, seeing Angela Davis is at the top um, just because of like that. That's just something you never get to do again. Right. Um, unless you so, end up Some going, of us. Unless yeah. you end up going to like some university in California. Unless we're doing the abolitionist work together. But right. um, Angela Davis and then Eve, that whole... Um, that was tied up with like my Langston Hughes Award and Eve coming and mm-hmm. her reading and I got to she was at Mike's Supremacy. Also so proud of you. Oh, thank you. I just thank you. So I I think I've said it already multiple times, <laughs> but like you. still so proud of That's you. That's kind. But yeah, those three days of her being there and me reading like that was all very important. And then um, Discrit. I don't know if you were in attendance at yes, that. Yes, I was. Uh, where Professor Kennedy and Doctor Subini Anima put mm-hmm. on. Um, a hybrid book release slash um, scene burst, so scene like place yeah. as well. Um, but it was about um, incarcerated girls of color um, and the school and prison nexus, and it was a profound, transcendent, radical, the most radical thing I may have like ever seen in my life. Um, that stuck with me. And then Hanifa Duraki is also on that list. Um, Literally, wait, so yeah. you you have one more year after this. Sadly, yes. Damn. If this would have been like your last semester. Oh, yeah. Going out with a bang. Bang, bang, bang baby. Yeah. Nope. We'll see what happens next year. Maybe it'll get better. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So, any church announcements, anything going on in your life that you want the people to know, <laughs> aka the people who listen to this podcast? Um, I'm trying to think. I don't have Facebook on my phone anymore because I'm off of social media except for Instagram. Um, but Mike's Supremacy is happening this weekend. Oh, my gosh. It's on Saturday. Um, it's on Saturday at 7 at the Raven. Um, I'm trying to think of any other readings or events. But we're kind of like petering out here for a little mm-hmm. while. Danette Smith is coming in April. So check cool. that off. April 3rd, I believe. Um, I don't really think that there's a lot else going on. We're coming up on spring break midway through the semester. We're almost 25% through the year um, now that we're in March. So, yeah. You're giving literally the breakdown <laughs> of the rest of time in I'm life. I'm very cognizant of time. We need to, we need to talk about um, queering time as well. We didn't get to that, but blackness and queerness do not exist in the Western narrative of time. Um, you know. Narrative about time and narrative of time. Yeah, both. We're going to have an episode about that because obviously I feel like that is just like. So my end goal of April, mm-hmm. April's whole entire month is just April. We're going to talk about all things queer, mm-hmm. you know, queering time, queering um, 
parenting, querying Ooh, everything. Yes, is this going to be so powerful? I'm not even a parent. I'm not even close to parenting. I have no but children. I really, I need like these like mommy blogs where they're talking about raising their children non-binary and talking to us about like, how do I introduce my children to power systems? Should I introduce them to our power systems function? How do I educate my children about like occupation and colonization? Like how, how are we radically parenting our children? How are we enabling their joy and creativity? How are we allowing them to fully express? I don't know. I just want these kinds of mommy blogs. Um, there is actually, whenever you ask me about, like, uh-huh. I saw you tweet that and uh-huh. I was like, girl, no. Like, I was like, absolutely not. Those things don't exist. Yeah. So actually, there is material uh-huh. um, that's in academia called Social mm-hmm. Justice Through Play. And so it's like teaching social justice through like narrative. So basically like mock interviews, stuff like that. But like, mm-hmm. imagine taking that and utilizing that for children. It's over. It's done. Isaac. Like, and so the only reason I know anything about this is because my friend Aaron wants to do something similar, but through Mm -hmm. board games, which is like fucking profound. Yeah. But even her sending me all of this information shook me to my core. Wow. Maybe it's a, I'm over it. Literally, all of the people just walked into the (gasps) building. I'm just over this. Literally, all my friends are here. Hold on. Open the door. Can they talk? Can they? We're introducing new We're people. We're introducing people. We have Come Jake in, talk Rose into a microphone. Yes, speak into Hi, a folks, microphone. How's it going? This episode's about queerness. Oh, oh I'm queer in here. <laughs> I hate everything. And I'm right behind him. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. Okay. Yeah. Is this how we end it? This is this is this literally is that, the most with a serendipitous ending. like entrance of other queer and black radicals. You That's know? how that like, works. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Okay. Well, had a great day. See you guys later. Good talk. Good talk. We'll see each other soon. Bye. Thanks for listening.